Well, good morning. morning. Blessings to you. Um, This morning, we are beginning uh, what will kind of be our our summer sermon series, and it's going to be focusing on the book of Acts. Um, And now, I don't know what you sort of think or or what things come to mind as you've read the book of Acts or as you think about, here is what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, But I know for me, a lot of times when I think of the book of Acts, one of the things that I think of is it was just sort of this like, weird time in the church where there's all these strange, mysterious things happening. You have things like speaking in tongues, all kinds of miracles, people living together like it's this sort of Christian, charismatic, hippie commune time thing that existed in the church. But if you actually stop and, and you really kind of tune in on what's taking place in the book of Acts, you know what one of the things that is central to the story of Acts is? Preaching. Preaching is central to the book of Acts. In fact, you can follow very closely the the narrative of Acts and the events of Acts that, that take place in the early life of the church, and you see that central to all of these stories and all of these movements in the book of Acts are the sermons that God's chosen people that he had appointed to preach to the church spoke. You see it over and over again, that that sermons, preaching, proclaiming what God has done is central to the life of the church in the book of Acts. And so as we sat down to to plan on, okay, what are we going to do to try to do a series on Acts in like eight or nine weeks? How are we going to boil the book of Acts down to, to that amount of time? And so we said, well, let's do sermons on sermons. Let's preach on the sermons that that come up in in the book of Acts. Let's take a look at how these sermons fit in the story. Let's take a look at what was central to the early church's preaching. What was the motivations for their preaching? Where did these things take place? And so as we begin this series, we actually start with a sermon that we covered part of on Pentecost... And that's Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, after the the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, and you see it come down as as those tongues of fire, and they they begin to, to proclaim the mysteries of God, proclaim what He has done, and all the people, they hear them in their own languages. And this event, it causes Peter to to stand up and preach. And he talks about what they're seeing and how it's the fulfillment of something Joel the prophet had spoke long ago. But what we cover today really centers in on how does Jesus fit into Peter's sermon here. And we see a few things about the way that Peter preaches about Jesus here. Listen again to Acts chapter 2, picking up at verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
As Peter preaches about Jesus, there's really kind of two things that we see him say about Jesus in these words. At first, what, G, what Peter starts with is the fact that Jesus was rejected. Jesus comes as this man attested to by God with these miracles, these mighty works, all of these things. You think back to all of the gospel stories. The feeding of the 5,000. Making that lame man walk. Giving sight to the blind. Raising his dead friend Lazarus. Peter says, this Jesus was attested to you by all of these mighty things. But you still rejected him. He was this man attested to you by God, yet you rejected him. You had him killed at the hands of lawless men. But, though he was rejected, he was vindicated. Jesus was rejected, he was crucified, he was killed, but God the Father vindicated him by raising him from the dead, affirming that this Jesus was in fact, even though he was rejected, he was in fact the Messiah, the one Israel had been waiting and longing for. And this rejection and vindication that Jesus went through, it all happened according to God's plan. Peter continues, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So this Jesus was rejected. But in his resurrection, he was vindicated. And that, res- or that rejection and vindication was fulfillment of what God had spoke. Specifically here, Peter cites Psalm chapter 16. These words from, from David. These words recalling how God had made these promises to him. The promises that, that he would not be abandoned to Hades. The promise that he would one day have one of his own descendants, to sit on the throne forever. Peter points back to those words from David, and he says, well, they can't be about David, because we know that that David died, his tomb's with us to this day, so if David wasn't speaking about himself, who is he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. He was speaking about what God would one day do and fulfill by sending his own son, who would also be David's descendant. Jesus was rejected in his resurrection. He was vindicated. And this has all taken place to fulfill God's promises. And now 
Jesus being perfectly obedient to the will of the Father has been vindicated, He is in turn exalted. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this day that you, what you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So we see here Peter's sermon, his words about Jesus, they center around kind of four basic ideas. First, that Israel rejected the Christ and they killed him. They rejected the Christ and killed him. But God has vindicated Jesus the Christ by raising him from the dead. And all of this took place, this rejection and vindication, it took place to be a fulfillment of the promises that God spoke through his prophets. The promises that God spoke to David and through David. The promises that are recorded throughout all of the scriptures have been fulfilled in the rejection and vindication of Jesus. And because Jesus has fulfilled all of this, he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Which then actually leads back to that rejection. Because if this one that Israel rejected has now been exalted, what should the people do? Right, if you came to find out that you had rejected God's promised Messiah, that you had, been, that you had taken part in crucifying the very Lord of life, what are you to do? That's probably not good. Is there any hope for those who had rejected the Messiah? Well, that's exactly what we discover next in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Right, they hear these words, they hear what Peter is saying, and they're like, oh my goodness, what have we done? We've, re- we've rejected the promised one. We got it wrong, we crucified him, we sent him away, we said, we want nothing to do with you. What are we supposed to do now? But Peter says that for those who have rejected him, there is still hope. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Peter's response to those who are cut to the heart, those who are in terror because they realize what they have done in rejecting this Jesus. He says to them quite simply, it's still not too late. It's not too late for you because God has called you to himself. And so he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Because those promises that God has made through Jesus, they are still for you. God is still calling you, still inviting you to come and receive his promised salvation. So repent, turn from your sin, stop rejecting Jesus and be baptized into him. And you will be saved. Repent and be baptized. That's what those who have rejected Jesus are called to do. Turn from your sin, receive God's promises, and live. How have you rejected Jesus? How how have you, with your life, with your words, your actions, rejected Jesus? I know maybe you're sitting there, you're thinking, wait, hey, where where do you get off? I I wasn't a part of the angry mob. I didn't shout with the crowds, crucify him. I wasn't the one who turned him over to be killed by the Romans. What are you accusing me of? But here's the thing, do we know that those who were there at Pentecost were a part of that crowd? Do we know for certain that every single person that was gathered there as on Pentecost was a part of the mob shouting, crucify him? Yet Peter still seems to say, you rejected the Messiah. You crucified him. And that same truth, I think, still applies to you and to me. Because that's ultimately what sin is, isn't it? It's a rejection of God. It is looking at God and saying, no thanks. I'm going to do it my way. Right? That's what it's been from the very beginning. Think back to Genesis 3 in the garden. In the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. You can say no to him. You can have it your way. You can reject him and choose yourself. Or or listen to Exodus chapter 19 when Moses is with Israel at Mount Sinai. Here's what he says. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Listen to what God says. If you will obey my voice, if you will hear my voice and keep my covenant. In other words, if you follow me and will have me as your God, you will be my treasured people. But in turn, to, to... not hear his voice, to not keep his covenant, 
is to do what? It's to reject God as God. That's ultimately what sin boils down to. It is a rejection of God. It is looking at how he has called us to live, looking at how he has made us to be, and saying, no, thank you, I'll have it my way. Isn't that what we confess every single week? We come to him and we confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, deed. The thoughts have not glorified God. They have rejected him. Our words have not always glorified God. They have rejected him. And our deeds have certainly not glorified God. We have rejected him. And it's not just the things that we do, we confess, but the things we left undone. In the things that you have left undone, how have you rejected God? Have you neglected the poor, the hurting, the needy? To instead store up things for yourself. How have you rejected the Christ? Because we've all done it. Every single one of us in thought, word, indeed, the things we've done and left undone. We have sinned against God. We have rejected Him. We, just like the crowd, have crucified the Christ. We've looked at Him and we have said, no thank you, We'll have it our way. But here's the thing. Just like for the crowd, just like for those gathered on Pentecost, it is not too late for you and for me. Because our God is still calling us back to himself. He is still calling us to repent and receive that gift of baptism. And that call to repentance and baptism is not just a one-time thing. Right? Remember Martin Luther, the very first of the 95 Theses. When Christ calls a man to repent, he intended that his entire life be one of repentance. To repent and be baptized means to constantly turn away from that sin. Constantly turn from those things that we, that we chase after that are a rejection of God. Constantly turn from that rejection and back to those promises that have been bestowed on us. That's what our God calls us to daily. To drown that old sinful self. To drown that part of us that wants to reject Christ and have it our way. So that we would receive his promises and live. So daily you and I, we are called to repent. Called to remember that our God is calling us to himself. That our God has offered us His salvation through the perfection of Jesus. He's calling us to hear those words, to repent and to live. So people of God, repent and be baptized. Turn, let us turn from our sin. Let us turn from the ways that we reject our God, the way we reject our Christ with our thoughts, our words, our deeds, from the things that we've done and left undone. Let's turn from our sin. Let us repent and turn back to those promises that have been poured out for us. Turn back to the promises that we have received in baptism, that we have been joined to Jesus, 
that we have been raised from Him. Let's turn back to those promises that our God is still calling us to Himself. But let's not just keep those promises to ourselves, Because those are promises that demand to go forth. To go forth out into the world and proclaim what our God has done. To proclaim what our God has given us. People of God, repent and be baptized. Turn from your sin back to God's promises. Because in Jesus, the promised one, in Jesus, the rejected one, the resurrected one, in Jesus, the exalted one, you and I and all the world have been promised life. Amen?